praise the Lord. Boy, you guys sounded good this morning. You say, what do you mean this morning? Right? Every week you sound good. And I keep saying it every week, but you also look better all the time. Keep tra- taking those supplements. <laughs> keep, keep, keep eating well. Get plenty of rest. You're doing, you're doing a good job. You look good. You sound good. Ended up, can you imagine? Just, were you sitting there singing that last song, just looking into the face of the Lord? And seated around his throne, just lifting up your heart to him. I hope you were. Boy, I just couldn't help but just see us together one day, sitting and enjoying the presence of the Lord visibly. Can you imagine? Just visibly in his presence. And now we're, we're here, certainly worshiping him in spirit. We worship him in spirit and truth, but then face to face. Wow. Isn't that going to be something? Praise his name. Yes, praise his name. Well, we have a birthday boy in our midst. Brother Harry Daniel, how are you, sir? You feeling all right? Okay, good. Harry turned a year older the other night, but um, he's doing well. Good to see you, brother. Sorry we couldn't be there the other night. Yep, <clears throat> praise the Lord. 170, I think it was. One of, sometimes. <laughs> Well, anyway, we're glad you could join us online as well. We're always blessed to have you join us that way, and I count it just a real privilege. So let me give you a couple of announcements. Uh, Next Sunday night at 6 p.m. is our marriage conference, our little mini marriage conference, if you will. So come join us for that. We'd love to have you here. It'll be a lot of fun, and it's always fun to gather anyway, isn't it? And so uh, invite some folks. If you think of some younger couples that are either thinking about getting married or... um, Uh, are currently married and uh, invite them to come as well. People that you might know in the neighborhood, family members, doesn't matter, have them come, okay? Ms. D has asked me to mention a mini, we're on the subject of mini here, packing party. This is for the shoebox ministry. We mentioned this last week, but here's the specifics. Choose your time, an hour or two, Friday, November 13th. Okay, November 13th from 8 a.m., to 8 p.m. Okay, so if you can pick a time, you can see Miss D about that. And uh, we're getting close and need to get these boxes packed, and um, it'll be a great help. Miss D, do you know roughly how many we still have to do? I mean, if we want to hit our goal, do you got any idea? Uh, probably 300. Okay, about 300 we still need? Okay. 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 Well, that's well on our way then. So that's that's fantastic. So if you can help Friday, November 13th, anytime during 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. Today there is a business meeting. This is our quarterly business meeting for finishing up the year. And uh, we're going to move downstairs for those of you who want to join us. Uh, we have the Zoom all set up for those who want to join online. We would encourage you to please do that. You can always do that, and if you're even not a member, you're welcome to stay. Uh, we would just ask that you not vote on anything if there's something that comes up. should be mostly reports today and some new information that we just want to give to you. So that'll be right after this service. Just go on and make your way down to the fellowship hall down there. Uh, something else that I just want to mention to you, this happened to Missy and her family this week, is a, a scam. Uh, I just wanted to kind of warn you for these kind of things. So you know there's all kinds of scams out there. But she told me it was okay. Uh, Colton, uh, she got a call uh, that our, her, I think, grandmother got a call that he was in jail somewhere and, and needed to send money to get him out. And, 
And then she says, has anybody called to see him? And he called, answered right away. Everything was fine. And so I've heard about this before. In fact, Nancy Young just mentioned this morning uh, that that happened to one of her relatives. I think she said it was her dad. And uh, so be wise with these things. Don't send anybody anything until you verify what's going on because this was really a frantic kind of a thing. Uh, the other thing I want to mention to you, I don't know if I've mentioned this before, it's, it's helpful to be married to an accountant. And so just so you know, this IRS scam that you hear people calling about, you know, people say this is IRS, Social Security, the IRS will never call you on the phone. They're going to send you a letter okay, if it's something that they want to talk to you about. So don't give in to any of that phone call stuff. All right? if, if they want to get in touch with you, they'll, they'll get in touch with you by an official way. All right? So just be wise with these things as they can be very, very scary. And a lot of people have lost a lot of money uh, on these things. So just be wise. right? Okay, well, let's go to prayer, and then we'll get into our subject for today. Father, it's already been such a great joy, as it always is, every uh, first day of the week now as we're preparing our hearts through worship to get ready for what you have for us in the days ahead, if that's your will. Uh, To leave us here, Lord, it might be your will to take us home today, and if it is, we'll be all the happier for it. But if you do leave us here, Lord, we pray that you'd help us to be wise, to be discerning, uh, to be good stewards. To remember that you are God. As Pastor Hamp was just reminding us. That you are God. And there will come a day where even the most ungodly will bow and confess Christ as Lord. And Father we thank you that we have been given open eyes and an open hearts. That you chose us from the foundation of the world to hear and to see. And so Lord we ask that you would do just that through us. That others would come to know you by the lives that we live and the words that we speak as we give them the gospel each and every moment that we have an opportunity. Help us live holy lives, Lord, we pray, pure before you. Now, Lord, we ask that you'd guide our hearts as we go through this message for today, that you'd give us clarity, give us wisdom also in this matter as we're coming up on a big event in the next couple weeks in our nation and quite literally could impact the world. And so we pray that you'd help us to discern from your word today what it is you would have us to do. We pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now if you're listening to my prayer there, you're probably wondering what I'm talking about. I have felt for the last couple of weeks and uh, just became more and more um, encouraged by the fact that it, it's something that I need to bring up. And so we're going to put off our study on the Lord's Prayer just for another week. All that's prepared. I planned on jumping back into that this week. Uh, but... Uh, As I began to talk to some folks and just realizing the situation of our nation, I felt like from a biblical perspective, I need to give you an answer so that you can have in your minds about how you should vote. Okay, And you say, Pastor, come on, don't get political on me. Uh, I'm not. I'm not going to tell you how to vote. What I'm going to do is tell you what God says from his word, and that will help guide you as you go into the voting booth. Okay, so let's talk about the election here. But our real question is this morning, foundationally, is how do I know who to vote for? That's the question. I actually had somebody come see me and ask me that question. And so that kind of spurred all this on in my mind and I knew that we needed to do it. Now, I was going to wait till next week, but I wanted to give you more time to think and to pray, as I hope you've already been doing uh, in your life with this, uh, because, again, this is going to be potentially something that could be a changing of our culture. Um, But let's look and see what the Lord says, and I think you're going to walk away greatly encouraged, greatly encouraged. So let's start out this way. 
And that is, long before Jesus came on the scene, the prophets proclaimed the need for hearts to be changed. This is nothing new. If you look at the message of the prophets, you're going to see that God proclaimed the need for hearts to be changed. In fact, if you go with me now to Deuteronomy 18, and, and I threw Chris a curve this morning. I added a bunch of scripture, and again, bless their hearts, Christy and Chris and those who work the machine in the back. Uh, they work really hard to give you what I give them. The problem is me, not them, because I keep changing things. In the last minute, I'll, I'll just give more verses than they have available. So uh, don't hold them accountable for what may or may not be up there, because, again, I've changed it. So if nothing else, just listen intently to these verses. I'm going to give you a lot. And so I don't want you to try to follow me necessarily. Some will be on the screen, some will not. But if nothing else, write them down. You go back and look at it yourself. So let's jump back, way back in the Old Testament, as I was saying. Now, again, before Jesus came on the scene, the prophets proclaimed a message that said hearts need to change. Those are who God's true people are. Deuteronomy 18:9. God, through Moses now, sang this to the people of Israel. When you enter the land, this is the promised land that God has given to them, which the Lord God has given you, you shall not learn to imitate the detestable things of those nations. Okay? God is immediately telling the Hebrew people, I want you to be different. I don't want you to be just like everybody around you. And if you've been a student of the scriptures, you know that this is the message the Lord gave to them. But we're just doing a refresher here. Let's look at Jeremiah chapter 10. I want to read all the way from 1, verse 1 through 16. As Jeremiah is speaking now through the Spirit of God and to the people to hear of the work of the Lord. So he says this, Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, O house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, Do not lean, excuse me, do not learn the way of the nations, and do not be terrified by the signs of the heavens although the nations are terrified by them. For the customs of the peoples are delusion, because it is wood cut from the forest. Let me just pause right there. Jeremiah is talking about idolatry and how the pagan nations worship all kinds of things. He says, because it is wood cut from the forest, and that's really all it is, the work of the hands of a craftsman with a cutting tool, they decorate it with silver and with gold, they fasten it with nails and with hammers, so that it will not totter. But it's like a scarecrow in a cucumber field, and they cannot speak. They must be carried because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. But there is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and great is your name and might. Who would not fear you, O King of the nations? You hear that? Indeed, it is your due, for among all the wise men of the nations and in all their kingdoms, there is none like you. But they are altogether stupid and foolish in their discipline of delusion. Their idol is wood. Beaten silver is brought from Tarshish and gold from Uphaz, the work of a craftsman of the hands of a goldsmith. How about that? Violet and purple are their clothing. They are all the work of skilled men, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. And his wrath, at his wrath the earth quakes and the nations cannot endure his indignation. Thus you shall say to them, the gods that did not make the heavens and the earth will perish from the earth and from under the heavens. 
It is he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding he has stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there is a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he causes the clouds to ascend from the end of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain and brings out the wind from its storehouses. Every man is stupid, devoid of knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols. For his old molten images are deceitful and there is no breath in them. They're worthless, a work of mockery. In the time of their punishment, they will perish. The portion of Jacob, that's speaking of Israel, is not like these for the maker God of all is he and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. The Lord of hosts is his name. And then from the prophet Ezekiel in chapter 36, verse 24 through 27. For I will take you from the nations, the Lord says, and gather you from all the lands and bring you into your own land. And then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will, put that, I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. And if you're listening, you're hearing the Lord say basically two things. One, you are to be a different people. But secondly, we need to hear that the Lord is saying, I am God. I am the Lord of all the nations. These who proclaim another God, there is no such thing. And so we need to be wise and remember that. Now, in Deuteronomy 18, there is an early prophecy of the coming of Christ. And so Moses even, I believe unbeknownst to Moses, is writing about Jesus himself. So listen in Deuteronomy 18, beginning in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your countrymen. You shall listen to him. This is in accordance to all that you ask of the Lord your God in Horeb on the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God. Let me not see this great fire any more, or I will die. And the Lord said to me, They have spoken well. I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he will speak to them all that I command him. It shall come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. Do you hear that last verse there? It will come about that whoever will not listen to my words, which Jesus, if we substituted that word there, his name, I myself will require it of him. And Jesus, when he came onto the scene, proclaimed the need for a changed heart. If you've been listening to the Gospel of Matthew that we've been going through for weeks now, that's the obvious point of his message. There must be a change of heart. So just go through the Sermon on the Mount and you see that, much less the rest of the Gospels and the letters, the epistles that are written by the other men. And in fact, when Jesus encounters Nicodemus in John chapter 3, you'll remember this very clearly as you study this very familiar passage. This is where John 3.16 comes from. But Jesus is talking to this man Nicodemus. Nicodemus is the ruler of Israel. He comes, uh, he's one of the leading scribes or the Pharisees, and he comes and he says, Jesus, tell me who you are. We know that you're more than a man. And Jesus responds with this, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What's Jesus saying? 
He's saying in order to discern and understand God as the leader God of the nations, you must be born again. You cannot see him without having a new heart. There's no way possible. Paul would pick up the same thing in this theme in 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. And then Peter, in his letter of 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, For you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. That is through the living and enduring word of God. Beloved, listen. The point the Lord is making through all of these people is that you and I, when we trust him as our God, we are different. We become unique. We're no longer of the things of this world. And that should be obvious to us now as we hear and have been studying the word. But it's especially necessary that we understand that always. We should never live one life inside of the church and differently outside the church. Ever. No matter what the subject is. So we ask the question then from all of this, why then did God point the people away from the things of this world? What was it? Well, it's just what we said. It's because he wanted us to be different. He was not the God of this world because there is another God of this world. In fact, if you listen to the dialogue between Pilate and Jesus, you remember the story there, and we're going to go to John 18. Again, I know I'm going fast here. That's why I just want you to write the verses down. You can go back and study them later because you won't be able to keep up. The context is that Jesus has now been taken into custody. He's just days away from the crucifixion. And he's brought before Pilate because you remember that the Hebrews needed to have the affirmation of the Romans in order to kill anybody. They didn't have that right. The Romans had to punish someone to the point of death. And so they bring him before Pilate and he enters into the praetorium, that area that Pilate would be in, and they summon Jesus and he asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answers in verse 34 and says, Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priests deliver you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. Now listen to that. That should be a foundational truth for each of us. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. And Jesus said, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Listen, beloved, the world cannot hear the voice and the mind and the heart of the Lord because they do not have the Lord in them. But you and I are different. We have the privilege to know these things to be real. So what Jesus means is that he is the Lord's, the, the Lord's kingdom is not connected to any earthly political realm here. In other words, the Lord's kingdom is unique and different from what we know to be here on the earth. It doesn't have its origination in the evil world system that all the political world is originated from. It just doesn't have that. Jesus says if the kingdom, if his kingdom were of this world, he would have fought. In other words, he's basically saying to Pilate, listen, the only reason there are kingdoms of, in this world that still remain in power or are in power is because they have to fight for it. 
They literally have to take it in some way. Now, that can be through voting or some means like that, but there's some means in which they have to take it. But Jesus is saying, listen, I am not of this world. My kingdom is far different. My people are far different who follow me. One author wrote this about this passage. He said, our Lord's kingdom doesn't originate in the efforts of man. It originates with the Son of Man forcefully and decisively conquering sin in the lives of his people and someday conquering the evil world system at his second coming. His kingdom was no threat to the national identity of Israel or the political or military identity of Rome. It exists in the spiritual dimension until the end of the age, Revelation 11. And that's true, isn't it? The Lord's kingdom will remain forever. And you say, okay, pastor, that's, I'm getting some of your meaning there. That's great. But what does that mean for the election? What does that mean when I step into the voting booth to know what I'm supposed to do? Well, what it means, number one, is because you and I don't belong to this world, we don't put our hope, number one, in a man or a woman. That's not where we put our hope. We don't put our hope even in a nation as much as we love the nation that we live in. Very much on the contrary, you and I are to put our energy into the spiritual sharing of the gospel. That's what we're supposed to be doing so that the universe, the world, will come into the family of God who submits to him as Lord over all things. And you say, okay, I get that, but how does that help me know who to vote for? That's a good question. Well, here's my answer. Because you and I are not a part of this world, as we're understanding, then you and I vote for whomever holds God's word the highest. We have to because we are submitting to the king. So to go into a voting booth and to vote for someone who does not uphold the king and his word, at least to the best that you and I can tell, we are defying the very king that we submit to. And there's a lot to know. In fact, there's a lot that we don't know. And you and I get confused a lot of times about what we're supposed to know and one person says this, the other person says that, and it seems to be just a lot of confusion in a lot of ways. So we step into the voting booth and we say, what are we supposed to do here? Well, what we do is we look at what we know the candidate stands for to the best of our ability as far as their relationship with God. In other words, you look into the issues that God has clearly spoken to. Uh, you and I cannot find in the Bible whether we're supposed to vote for Biden or Trump. It's not going to be there, right? It's not going to be there in the years to come, whoever the candidates are. Whether that's a local election or a state election or a national election, it's not going to be there. And so you and I as believers, number one, realize I'm not of this world, so what do I do living in this world? Well, I am to follow the king who is the God of the world and do my best to discern what that person represents as far as they believe God to be. For example, let me give you some examples of all of this. Proverbs 6, beginning in verse 16, God clearly says there are six things which the Lord hates. You want to know what God doesn't like? Here's what he says. Seven which are an abomination to him, haughty eyes. In other words, I hate pride. A lying tongue. Well, we're running out of people. And hands that shed innocent blood. Oh, that's interesting. 
Talking about the abortion issue, perhaps. But you could put anything in there as long as it's uh, hands that are shedding innocent blood, but that's certainly a big issue for us today. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. One who spreads strife among brothers. He's talking about unity there. You say, okay, well that still doesn't help a lot. But I'm beginning to get the idea. I see at least what God speaks to. And then there's another issue, and we could talk about a lot of them, but the ones that really stood out in my mind, and understand I wasn't planning on preaching this, I was planning, but I just kept thinking of things and throwing stuff in there. And so this is what I came up with. And one of those is those who stand with Israel, God is real clear about. Psalm 122.6, he says very clearly, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. And that's straight out of the word of the Lord. Psalm 102.14, Surely your servants find pleasure in her stones and feel pity for her dust, speaking of Israel. So the nations will fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord has built up Zion. He has appeared in his glory. Israel is God's people, right? Very clearly has God said he will preserve his people and those who preserve them with him. Psalm 2, verses 1 through 12. Why are the nations in an uproar and the peoples devising a vain thing? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us tear their fetters apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. And then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I think the Lord is speaking of the millennial reign of Christ here. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord. He said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth. Listen, let me back up and read that again. Listen to what the Lord says here. Who's in control? Ask of me and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance. Who has control over the nations, beloved? Pretty clear, right? And the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. This is the Father speaking to Christ as he is reigning in the millennial millennial kingdom. You shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O kings, show discernment. In other words, leaders of the world, listen up. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the Son that he not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Pretty clear. You say, okay, well, I still can't tell who to vote for. I mean, because so many of these things seem to be broken, right? When we look into the political world, well, just another thought to help you, and this is just kind of a side note, and that is remember this, is that you're not voting for a pastor when you go into the voting booth. There are very specific requirements that God has in First Timothy and Titus for those who lead his church. You're not voting for a leader of the church here. So just remember that, okay? The world and its philosophies have its own worldly philosophies. The government has its own worldly philosophies. So what you have to do is you have to do your homework. That's that hateful word we never wanted to hear in school. 
but we have to do our homework. We have to do spiritual homework. As we're listening to candidates, no matter whom they, who they are, we have to listen to what they do with God and how they proclaim Jesus. And here are some things that will help you as you're doing your discerning. Because you may step away from the thing you see on the television and go, I still don't know what I'm supposed to do. Well, here's what you do then. You trust the Lord. Watch this. Proverbs 16:9. The man, The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Right? Now what's he saying? He's saying that you go into the voting booth with a plan. But the Lord is sovereign over your plans. And if you're walking with him in your normal life and you're praying for what to do and direction and guidance, God will work his sovereign plan through your mind to make up his work and make his work done. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap. Now the lot was this item, this tool, this thing, kind of like a dice almost or a die that the priest would use in Israel before the filling of the Holy Spirit to determine the will of the Lord. And God used that. We don't need that now because we're filled with the Holy Spirit. But this is what the proverb writer is saying. The lot is cast into the lap. In other words, we're, de- we're trying to determine the will of the Lord. But watch this. But it's every decision is from the Lord. So man throws the dice, so to speak, but God is sovereign over the way the dice unfold. Proverbs 19.21, many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. In other words, son, daughter, you have ideas about this or that? Well, guess what? My plans will trump yours all the time. So we're wise then to follow what the Lord says to us. Proverbs 20.24, man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How then can man understand his way? And this is the one that I really want you to hear. And I want to give you several examples of how this has played out in history. God's work in history through leaders. Proverbs 21.1. The king's heart. I want you to think about this picture. This is how I pictured it in my mind. You do it how it works for you. The king's heart. I picture the Lord holding the heart of the king. Is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. Now think about that. The heart of the king, it's like a river, some translations say. It's like a river that flows and God with his sovereign control over the universe turns even the most ungodly heart in the direction that God's sovereign purpose intends. That's what he's saying. Now let me give you some examples like I promised. You've heard of the name, perhaps, if you're a student of history biblically, Tiglath-Pileser III. Tiglath-Pileser III. He was a ruler of the Assyrians back in 745 to 727 B.C., a real ruthless guy. The Assyrians were really mean-spirited people, didn't care a thing about the Lord. What they did care about is taking over other lands, and that's what they did a lot of. One of those times when Tiglath III was in office, he campaigned around Israel and also against Israel. Israel is used as a word that defines the northern tribes, not the southern tribes, but the northern tribes after they split. And so in the north, so he wanted to campaign against them. And because the kings of the north hated the Assyrians, 
they called their brothers, Judah and Benjamin in the south, those, those tribes, and said, hey, come up here and help us fight these guys. We hate these guys. They're going to overrun us. Well, here was the problem. The, the, uh, the groups of the tribes were having a conflict between the two of them. That's why they were divided. And so the southern guys said, no, we're not going to do it. King Ahaz was the king at the time. We're not going to come help you. And so the northern tribes got so mad at the southern tribes, they said, well, we're going to come fight you then. And so they, the southern tribe hears about them coming, and so Ahaz says, I know what I'll do. I'll get in touch with Tiglag, the Assyrian king, and I'll have him come help us against the northern tribes. And so he played them against them, to which is exactly what happened if you follow the scriptures. And all this is in Second Kings. And so Tiglath responds and attacks the northern tribes, chases them all the way down to the Egyptian river, and deported a great deal of the population of Israel into Assyria, which is what he was famous for. And then God in his sovereignty destroyed the Assyrians for doing that. Now the point is, as we get confused about that, we say, well, what in the world's going on here? God used the Assyrians to, do, to discipline his own people. But then because the Assyrians were wicked, God judged them for their wicked hearts. And that's what we see in Isaiah 10. Woe to Assyria! The rod of my anger and the staff in whose hand is my indignation. Listen to this. Verse 6. I sent it. I sent Assyria against a godless nation and commissioned it against the people of my fury to capture booty and to seize plunder. In other words, I was behind using Assyria to discipline my people because they would not listen to me and to trample them down like mud in the streets. Yet it does not so intend, nor does it plan so in its heart, but rather it is in its purpose to destroy and to cut off many nations. In other words, God is saying, listen, I am sovereign over every nation. And then there's a guy named Nebuchadnezzar, which you've heard about, but you, you didn't know there was a first one before him. This is the Nebuchadnezzar, though, of the Daniel story. He was the second. He was a Babylonian king, an amazing young man who rose to great power very quickly, very early, was very, very gifted in a lot of ways. And you know the story as you've read through Daniel and studied that, that God gives to him now a pagan king, a king that cares nothing about God, knows nothing about God except for what he hears. God gives to him a vision in the night. And this is what Daniel writes as he is retelling the story of what Nebuchadnezzar said to him. Now these were the visions in my mind, Nebuchadnezzar says. As I lay on my bed, I was looking, and behold, there was a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky. And it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant. And this is an amazing tree. And it was food for all. And the beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. Verse 13, While I was looking in the visions in my mind, and as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven, Nebuchadnezzar said. He shouted out and spoke as follows, Chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its foliage and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, yet leave the stump with its root in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from that of a man, and let a beast's mind be given to him, and let seven periods of time pass over him. 
This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers and the decision is the command of the holy ones, watch, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and it and bestows it on whom he wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. Wow. God, beloved, puts leaders in place even the ungodly ones. Now, as Nebuchadnezzar is having this vision, he ignores all of this and is so arrogant about what he had done to build up Babylon. God says this now in Daniel 4:28. Twelve months later, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, basically checking out everything he had. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon? the great which I myself has built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Verse 31, While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared sovereignty has been removed from you and you will be driven away from mankind and your dwelling place will be the beasts of the field. You will be given grass to eat like cattle and seven periods of time will pass over you. Does that sound familiar? until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled and he was driven away from mankind. He began eating grass like cattle and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And in Daniel 4.34, but at the end of that period, Nebuchadnezzar says this, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him for, who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. God is the ruler, beloved. And we're under his kingdom. But let's look at a couple more. There's Cyrus, who was the ruling Persian emperor. In nine years, he took his ascension to the throne, or after nine years, he conquered the Medes, and that became known as the Medo-Persian Empire. Later defeated the Babylonians that Nebuchadnezzar was a part of. But as you hear this, I want you to understand that Cyrus is not a believer either. But listen to how God describes this and describes him. This is in Isaiah 45, verse 1. Thus says the Lord to Cyrus, his anointed. Now you and I think of anointed as being like a holy one, right? But no, God is saying he is anointed because I am going to use him for my purposes, even though he doesn't know me. Notice in verse 1, whom I have taken by my right hand or by the right hand, taken him by his right hand to subdue nations before him and to loose the loins of the kings, to open doors before him so the gates will not be shut. I will go before you and make the rough places smooth. God is speaking through Isaiah to the people of Israel. And he's going to use Cyrus to allow them to go back to their homeland. I will give you the treasures of darkness and hidden wealth of secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who calls you by your name. For the sake of Jacob, my servant, and Israel, my chosen one, I also have called you by your name. I have given you a title of honor, though you have not known me. So God, again, here's another situation where God is in the background, apparently working sovereignly his work to bless his own people. 
Then there's a guy named Belshazzar. You remember him? Lived a very unrighteous, rebellious life, dishonored God by taking of the holy utensils, we're told in Daniel 5, to use for his own parties. I mean, it was just a profane, unbelievable thing. And so God sends to him this message through Daniel. You have exalted yourself against the Lord of heaven and they have brought the vessels of his house before you and you and your nobles, your wives and your concubines have been drinking wine from them and you have praised the gods, little g, of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which do not see, hear or understand, but the God in whose hand are your life breath and all your ways you have not glorified. Then the hand was sent from him, and this inscription was written, sent from God. This is the finger of God. Now this is the inscription, Daniel says, that was written, Mine, Mine, Tekel, Upharsin. And Daniel gives the meaning in verse 26. The interpretation is, Mine means God has numbered your kingdom, Belshazzar, and he's put an end to it. Tekel means you have been weighed on the scales of righteousness and found deficient. Perez, your kingdom has been divided and given over to the Medes and to the Persians. God took over the control which he always had of Belshazzar. Artaxerxes, the Persian leader, and these are all in successive dates following one another. The Hebrews had been taken into captivity, as you remember, but God allowed some of them to return, led by Ezra. And you see this in Ezra chapter 7, as Ezra writes this, I, even I, King Artaxerxes, issue a decree to all the treasures who are in the province beyond the river that whatever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law, the God of heaven may require of you, it shall be done diligently. And he gives to them all these talents of gold and, and all these great needs of supplies. So God is using Artaxerxes to bless God's people as they go back into the promised land. Verse 23, whatever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be done with zeal for the house of God of the God of heaven so that there will not be any wrath against the kingdom, the king and his sons. In other words, Ezra, you tell the people, if they want to be blessed, you better listen to me. Otherwise, there's going to be great consequences for everyone. So with all of that now and having all of those examples, what are we really saying? Well, it should be obvious. God is the God of every kingdom of man. Every kingdom of man. Now that's not anything new for those of us who've been studying the scripture. But I think we need to hear it again as we go into times like this and as we watch our nation unraveling in so many ways. That our God is even the God over the kingdom of Satan. And we know that from Revelation 20 and many other places in the scriptures. The devil who was deceiving them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. There's coming a day where God is going to remove all the evil of this world, where the beast and the false prophet are already, and they will be tormented day and night forever. Now, of course, Revelation is talking about the time of the end of the millennium when all of this is done. And so God is also not only the kingdom, the king of all nations, but we've got to make it personal and say God is the king of the United States. He is the God of America, meaning, beloved, you and I, as his people who are different, who are his children, must follow him. We have no choice to vote for a man or woman who does not follow him will bring great consequences on any land. And so what we can know is that as a believer, 
The decisions that I make in the voting booth must align with what I know about God. And what I know about God is I step my, my feet into the voting booth or with the pen in hand, I know that God is sovereign over every land of man and over every heart of people. And so we need to remember that voting is a privilege. And you say, no, it's not. It's a constitutional right. Yes, it is in the land. But as far as you and I, under the kingdom of God, it is a great privilege for us. It's not a right. It's a privilege because God is our king. Amen? Amen. He is our king. And you and I have been given the great privilege to live in a land that we live in as a gift, not as a right. And I'm talking from the biblical perspective. It's a privilege because as far as God is concerned, because he is the ultimate ruler of all the kingdoms. And so again, for anyone to vote for somebody who's not on the Lord's side, just as a rule of thumb, is going to be greatly a problem. So for you and I, you and me to step into the voting booth, what we have to do in our homework We don't have to know and understand all the issues, but what we have to know and understand is what that person does with the Lord to the best of our ability. God has made it abundantly clear, and I could show you tons more scripture, but God has made it very clear that he is sovereign over the affairs of man. For you and me to go in and vote against what God says would be a real problem. Let me read you a passage here, and we'll be, we'll be done here in just a second. Second Chronicles 7, beginning in verse 13. I read this last week. It fit the text there, and it fits well today. Listen to the sovereign hand of God, again, speaking to Israel. If I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, and my people who are called by my name... He's going to give four conditions here. Humble themselves, pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their land and I will heal their land. And my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer offered in this place, God says. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be forever there and my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Four things the Lord said. Humility number one. My people are to live in great humility. If you will humble yourself and you will cast yourself before me, I will heal your land. He also said, pray, communicate with me, open your heart to me. This idea of seeking my face is that idea of longing for God. Oh God, you heal our land. You do it. And then, of course, the repentance, turning from wicked ways. We're to live repentant lives as we follow the Lord. Now what that means for you and me is that if you and I will make sure our hearts are fully following God in all ways, He's going to honor you, He's going to hear your prayers, and He's going to put in leadership the person He wants to be in leadership to be the best person for you, His child. Do you see that? Do you know who the ruler is in the kingdom of heaven? His son, right? And His son always does what's best for his people. Always. And so the point is, is that if you and I will step into the voting booth and we will say, Father, we realize you are sovereign over the affairs of man. I'm not sure exactly what direction to go, if that's you. 
But you say, I'm going to trust you, Lord, to sovereignly guide my heart and my hand because I am trusting you as my heavenly Father. And God will hear and he will respond. Now that does not mean God won't bring about some form of judgment because there is sin in this world that God will judge. And you and I may be caught up in that some. Israel was taken to captivity because they would not listen to the sovereign hand of God. They would not listen to his voice. And so God put them there to discipline them. And of course, I believe that's what we're seeing in many ways in our land as we've removed God so much from everything. But God is telling us, beloved, listen, I can fix this. I can fix this. Your job is to remember you don't belong to this world system. You belong to me. Go tell people about me. Bring them into my kingdom. I will open their hearts and I will bless you with leaders that will live, help you live a life of peace. Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Listen, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. Psalm 144, 15. How blessed are the people who are so situated. How blessed are the people whose God is is the Lord. Listen, ultimately Jesus is coming back, right? He's going to come back and he's going to right everything that's wrong and he's going to cast all the rebels out into outer darkness. And I'm not speaking of anybody in particularly because God doesn't. God's unique qualifier is anyone who rebels against him. That's it. Doesn't matter who they are. Revelation 20:11, John writes, I saw a great white throne. This is the final judgment. And him who sat upon it, from whose earth, whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead and the great and the small standing before the throne, and the books were open, and another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds." Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Let's make this as simple as possible. I can't tell you who to vote for. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. But what I can tell you is, as you follow the Lord and you step into the voting booth and you say, God, I'm trusting you and your divine sovereignty to guide me in this, God will do it. And he will bring about his perfect purpose in his own way. Why? Because you're trusting him. Even if you don't know for sure, you're trusting him and God will do it. Amen? That's comforting, isn't it? I mean, I for one am so excited that when I mess up in my own thinking that as long as I'm trusting God every step of the way, as the writer of the Proverbs says, he is guiding us. I mean, isn't it amazing that the most wicked kings and the most wicked rulers think they're leading when they're not? It's really the Lord? Okay, you get the point. So here's what I'd like to do, as we did in the first service. I'd like to just call on some of our leaders right now, some of our men who are leaders in the church, to pray as we close our time together. Okay, so normally I pray and close, but I'm sorry for those of you who are online, you may not be able to hear their prayers, but... Uh, We want to close as God says to us. We're to pray as God's people together. And so, uh, Pastor Hamp, if you'll come and and pray, brother. Uh, Neil, if you'll pray, please, sir. Let's see, Jeff, if you'll pray. Danny, if you'll pray. And Craig, if you'll pray, that'd be great. And I know we got lots of other men that could pray. Um, 
So if you can remember who you go after, I can't remember who I called already. So uh, do your best. And then uh, Pastor Hamp will lead us in a song. So just stand right where you are, brothers, and just lift up your voices. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the freedom that you've given us. First and foremost, the freedom that you've given us through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, just help us to stay focused on that first and foremost. But Lord, as we're also given privileges within our country, Lord, just give us wisdom as we choose people who we want to represent us. Lord, just help us to, to see things through your, your heart, through your eyes. Lord, just give us that understanding of, of what we need to do. And as my brother in the first service said, that we know that this is the case, but our prayer is your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, Lord, we just thank you for the blessings that you've given us. We thank you for a country that we do have this right. And, and so, Lord, we just ask that whatever happens, that our hearts will, will be in tune with, with you at all times. It's in your son's name I pray. You can just stay at your seat when you're praying. Go ahead, brother. Lord, we ask for your wisdom as we uh, go into the uh, the voting booth. Lord, we also ask for um, your your blessing on this country, uh, and we ask that uh, uh, you you give to each of us uh, the patience and wisdom in terms of how we interact uh, with those that are our leaders, and with our fellow citizens. Lord, all of us um, uh, are facing challenging times, and Lord, we just ask that um, uh, your wisdom uh, will be imparted to us as we make decisions. Yes. In Jesus' name I pray.